you might have realized this already, but the first Sunday that we moved online due to the pandemic was almost exactly two years ago today. As the world was shutting down, there seemed to be so much uncertainty, and yet I don't think any of us thought we would be here two years later. The message that I gave that first Sunday was something that, looking back on, was eerily accurate and important given what has happened since then. That first Sunday, our main point was that we must not let anything or anyone divide us. Now, I can only attribute the accuracy and the relevance of that point to God doing what only God can do. Now, while we had no idea what was coming with views around the virus, masking, vaccines, mandates, relaxing mandates, add in racism and the calls for racial justice, and on top of all that, we add what has happened in politics with the 2020 election, the insurrection, and transitions of power. And the point of that first message was to challenge those of us who follow Jesus to stay unified around Jesus. And while that was important for the time, I think we have a shift in that situation that is important for us to be aware of and to sort of consider along the way. Now, if you aren't a Jesus follower, this message today can still be helpful in very practical ways. But you also have an out to not do this. However, those of us who, don't, who are following Jesus, we don't have an excuse because of what we're going to talk about today is actually something Jesus prayed for us. So this is an imperative. And this shift in the situation that we're experiencing isn't necessarily new. In many ways, it's been happening since the beginning of time. But it isn't also hard to see how this shift will have long-term impacts on our culture and relationship. And this shift has been called the big sort. And this is one of those things that I was sort of reading about and thinking about during my sabbatical last month. Now, if you don't know, the big sort is basically the movement of people sort of sorting themselves geographically to areas and people that align with their values, political preferences, and overall like-mindedness. Basically, blue zip codes are becoming bluer, and red zip codes are getting redder. And again, this isn't anything new, as this wave of sorting has been happening for about the last 30 years. But the impact of the pandemic seems to have sped up the sorting, and possibly increased it. Uh, NPR did an article on this and it sort of interviewed various people from both sides politically who moved to areas that match their politics. Now, the general idea is that people want to move to places where they feel more comfortable, right? Less out of place and, and maybe most telling to, quote, be with our own people. Uh, more on that in a moment. Uh, last sat- uh, Sunday, rather, we started the series called Lessons We Learn from Lent. Now, Lent is simply the season preparing for the death and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. And last Sunday, we read a unique story about Jesus healing someone from a terrible situation. But in the process, it cost the community around that person. It it cost that community some property. And so the community had a decision to make. How are we going to respond to Jesus? Are we going to lean into and, and acknowledge Jesus, who apparently has the power to help people in severe and dangerous situations? Will we lean into and acknowledge Jesus as some sort of authority in our lives? Or will we focus on what acknowledging Jesus as an authority might cost us? And unfortunately for this little town and the surrounding community, the people decided to ask Jesus to leave. They, they basically weren't ready to acknowledge Jesus as a leader or a king in their lives. And we might wonder, like, why would they do that? But at the same time, we could look in the mirror and ask the same question of ourselves. Why do we want Jesus to leave and not be the leader of our lives? Even when we can see that Jesus is a better king than we are. If you want to watch last Sunday's message, head over to our YouTube channel. Uh, So you might be asking, well, what does Lent and the big sort have to do with each other? Well, there are a couple of reasons that we're sort of combining these subjects today. Number one, we think the church should be the safest gathering of people 
who can talk about anything. At number two, we think the church should be a gathering of people bringing heaven to earth. Now, this is important because how we behave, talk, and treat each other, it represents something. Usually either our own selfishness or Jesus, who came from heaven to earth to sacrifice his life for others. We can bring that message of love to those around us by our behavior, our words, and our actions, including how we talk about those on the other side politically, including where we choose to live, including who we build relationships with, including people who look differently than we do, think differently than we do, and behave or believe differently than we do. And then number three, for Jesus followers, Jesus addressed this. Uh, not the big sort specifically, but how to respond to people who think differently than we do, particularly if those people are other Jesus followers. So before we get to the, the combination of Lent and the big sort, I want to share a few quotes that I read that really grabbed my attention and pushed me to consider how Jesus followers should respond to the big sort. Uh, the first one comes from a woman who moved recently to another part of the country, due at least in part to finding an area that had a similar approach to COVID as she did. After moving, she was describing how nice it was to see people acting and behaving towards COVID like she thought they should, and she said this, it's kind of like heaven on earth. Now, as a pastor, this obviously caught my attention because bringing heaven to earth is what I've given my life to. However, I don't think this lady and I are quite working from the same definition because she's only seeing heaven coming to earth if people follow her COVID preferences. Now, the second quote comes from a journalist, Bill Bishop, who wrote a book about this topic called The Big Sort. The subtitle is Why the Clustering of Like-Minded America is Tearing Us Apart. Uh, something he said will set us up for our time together today. He said this, groups of like-minded people tend to become more extreme over time in the way that they're like-minded. Now, that seems to be something that we should pay attention to, and actually researchers call this the law of group polarization. Again, groups of like-minded people tend to become more extreme over time in the way that they're like-minded. They're still sorting themselves in ways that end up that places are increasingly Republican or increasingly Democratic. Uh, then you can see that sort of playing out in Congress. There are fewer people in the middle. And so politics becomes less about solving our problems anymore. It's about cheering for our side, and so we're stuck. And because of that, though, we as Jesus followers have the opportunity to model for our community what it looks like to think differently and love unconditionally. The question is, though, do we want to do that last part? Do we want to love unconditionally? And the problem is that we sort of all think that we want to do this or that we already are doing this. Like, I think I've got this, but, but this isn't just sort of tolerating people from the other party. This isn't just sort of being nice while rolling your eyes. Uh, saying it another way, are you willing to evaluate your politics, your decisions, your relationships through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics, your decisions, your relationships? Ouch. Let me say that one more time, even for myself. Are you willing to evaluate your politics, your decisions, your relationships through the filter of our faith rather than creating a version of faith that supports your politics, your decisions, and your relationships? Are you willing, am I willing to put the way that I see the life and the world around me behind my faith filter? Are you willing to follow Jesus, which is our mission? Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political party, your preferences, your like-minded friends? Uh, most Christians aren't willing or able to do that, particularly because their identity is wrapped up in their politics and their preferences. And then it becomes so easy for us to be divided. 
Uh, particularly because the mixing of our faith and our opinions about so many things. Uh, the amazing thing, though, is that apparently Jesus saw this division and polarization coming. And Jesus prays a prayer that John records for us. And in this prayer, Jesus prays for us. And Jesus asks his Father to do something for us and also in us that has everything to do with the big sort and how we can live life in this polarized environment without escaping to a bubble. We're going to start reading in John chapter 17. You can follow along the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the More menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So John chapter 17, this is a prayer Jesus prayed, starting in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. And the disciples of Jesus have been walking around for three to three and a half years trying to explain to people what God is like, what the kingdom of God is like. And we're sort of at the end of that time period, and yet Jesus is continuing to pray for God to demonstrate through him what God is like, pointing people to God. But this glory that Jesus is talking about is so much different than the glory that we typically think of. Because isn't he about to be arrested and crucified, like right after this? Well, a lot of what we're gonna, a lot of what we think of as glory is comfortable. And God sent Jesus into the most uncomfortable situation, and through that uncomfortable situation, Jesus pointed people to God. Uh, skipping down the prayer, verse 11. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. And they are staying refers to the disciples who followed Jesus closely. And Jesus tried telling them repeatedly that he was leaving, but they didn't understand where he was going or why he was going. So he says, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. So that. Now that idea of protect them refers to the 12 disciples and the others who followed Jesus. And it implies that there is some sort of danger out there. However, with the rest, without the rest of the verse, rather, we can only guess what he's asking them to be protected from. And with our American views, we tend to think of uh, being protected from a violent person or a group of people or protected from someone infringing on our freedoms or protected from tra transportation accidents or protected from health problems. However, prior to this, Jesus already laid out what the future is going to look like for these disciples. And maybe the worst graduation type speech ever, Jesus said, in your future, you're going to be flogged. You're going to be arrested, beaten. Some of you are going to be killed. To which they'd say, like, oh, great, Jesus, thanks. And so here Jesus is praying for their protection, but he isn't praying for their physical protection. He's praying for something he thinks is even more important than their physical protection. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. That the thing that Jesus was most concerned about as he ended his ministry was his, father's, his followers being united. He knew that as long as they were united together and with God, the world would change. But if they ever got divided and splintered, things would stall. And now he prays for you and for me. Verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Basically, this is just not for the 12 those closest around him at that time. Jesus is praying for the generations of Christians who would come after them, the next generation, and the next generation after that, leading all the way up to us. And so what does he pray for us? The answer is, not what we pray for us. And this is something that is sad and a little bit convicting for those of us who are followers of Jesus, because almost none of us regularly pray for what Jesus prayed for. And virtually none of us have asked God for what Jesus asked God for. And even though he modeled this and clearly it was close to his heart and important to him. Verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. 
I pray that they will all be one. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that everyone will be one and that they will all be the same, because that was not the first century. In the first century, there were Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, slaves and free, military leaders and soldiers, tax gatherers and citizens, educated and uneducated, and at times, all in the same church together. So in the 21st century, that doesn't mean we're all to be one and that we are all the same. There will be Republicans and Democrats, independent and decisive, libertarian, librarian, black, brown, yellow, and white, married and single. And Jesus is praying for all the people who follow him no matter where they are from, what they have experienced, how good life has treated them, how poorly life has treated them. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one. Do you know what the Greek for the word all means? All. And this is amazing. Jesus is praying that somehow all of us will be one. Now this sounds impossible, and yet Jesus was convinced that as impossible as this may sound, it was mission critical. And part of the reason that being one or being united sounds impossible is because unity doesn't come naturally, does it? Uh, unity doesn't just naturally come because we only know what we know. We were raised by who, were, who raised us. We have experienced what only we have experienced. And now with the big sort, we are sort of running towards areas with people who know similar things to us and were raised by similar people as we were. We are running towards areas with people who have experienced similar things as us. And we tend to run toward our little corners relationally, politically, and really every way. And yet Jesus is saying how diverse this church is going to be. It's going to be international and so many different languages, colors, social positions. If they can remain one... And then he continues, verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that. And what's going to come next is the purpose. And do you know why he prayed for oneness? The reason he prayed for us to be one really has nothing to do with us. The reason that he prayed for us to be one was because of what he wanted to do through us. And this is where problems with the big sort can really start to show up. Now, if you recently moved, whether on purpose, to an area more similar to your views, or, or maybe you weren't even thinking about any of that, you just moved for your job, uh, either way, I'm not here to judge you for that or make you feel guilty. Rather, I just want to point out that making any decision just based on us, rather than inviting God into the equation and what he might want to do through us and through that decision, can be quite dangerous. He says, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they also be in us so that the world, and the world is not the people in the church. The world is the people outside the church, the people far from God, the people who don't know anything about Jesus, the people who sort of roll their eyes at Christians. When those people see unity, they see oneness, even when the church is diverse and thinks differently, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me, that the world will continue to, will come to the conclusion rather or, or sort of be convinced that Jesus is God's son sent for them. This isn't sort of an add-on. This is mission critical because sharing God's love with those far from him is our mission. And this isn't a, wouldn't it be nice if they would get along? The way that the world is going, is going to sit up and take notice of this beautiful, diverse thing that we call the church is when the church works together and is unified. And even though we may have different views politically and on different opinions, even though we may have been raised in such different ways that we may never see the world the same way as others see it, and yet at the same time there is this beautiful, mystical unity. Again, Jesus isn't praying for the people in the church to, to become more similar to each other. He's praying for unity with people who are different from each other because 
when the church just becomes more similar, unity sort of loses some of its potential. And while politicians in the same political party aren't always unified, many times they are. However, when you see two politicians from different political parties work together, there's a sense of potential of what could be. Maybe even a sense of heaven on earth. And Jesus is praying that this is the way forward for the church. In his times, this was the way to get the attention of the Roman Empire. This is what got the attention of the pagan world. In our world today, unity is what can get the attention of those who are indifferent about Christianity and those who've been hurt by the church. Now, while the idea of unity is great, how do we actually be unified or be one? Well, first, our main point for today is that we can think differently and love unconditionally. Now, this may sound redundant, but probably necessary to say as well. Thinking the same way is not a condition for unconditional love. Uh, Second, since the idea of unity is so intangible, I want to give you a tangible way to work towards unity with people who are different from you. And if we are actually going to be unified, it will have to be intentional because unity won't just happen. Uh, Now, back in February, I was listening to a podcast with David French who said this, When the fruits of the Spirit are present, a relationship can flourish across pretty significant differences. When the fruits of the Spirit are absent, a relationship has to depend almost entirely on total agreement. Let me repeat that. When the fruits of the Spirit are present, a relationship can flourish across pretty significant differences. When the fruits of the Spirit are absent, a relationship has to depend on almost, almost entirely on total agreement. We don't have the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, and so we're only able to be around people who almost entirely agree with us, or we're only by ourselves, right? So what are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, Paul wrote about the fruits or the the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those fruits present in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You you might have some of these in your life, but I would encourage you to ask God to show you which fruit you need Him to grow in you, particularly as it relates to being united with people who see the world differently than you do. Because if you think about it, we really only have two options when it comes to, to dealing with people who are different than we are. Option number one, we ask God to develop these fruits in our lives, or option number two, We sort of position ourselves around people more like us. Now, you might need to move because of your job or the season of your life or family, whatever, but I want to invite you to include God in that decision first. So before you ask God if or where you should move, first ask God to grow the fruits of the Spirit in you so you can love people who think differently than you do. And here's the thing, your political candidate will win or lose the the legislation that you endorse, the referendum that you support, will become a reality or not based on how people vote. However, the church will win or lose based on whether we can love or be united or not. Our neighborhood wins or loses, our community wins or loses, our nation wins or loses based on how we treat each other. We can think differently and love unconditionally. As evidenced by Jesus' prayer, God wants his followers to be unified. It was the unity of the church that got the attention of the pagan world, and eventually the empire responsible for crucifying Jesus, that empire would embrace him. And I don't say this much, if at all, but this is God's will for you. This is God's will for us. This is God's will for every Jesus follower, because this is what Jesus prayed for. Let me pray for us. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus and his prayers for us. Thank you for his life that sort of demonstrated a lot of this, that he brought so many different groups of people together. Even within his own 12 disciples, there was very different groups of people. And so, God, would you help us to follow Jesus' example? Because we really can't do it on our own. God, would you help us to follow and pray the similar prayer of what Jesus prayed? Would you help make us one so that we can love many? And would you help make us one, not just make us similar to each other, but God, would you help us to figure out how to love each other unconditionally, even though we might think differently, believe differently, and behave differently? God, we need your help. We ask for your help. Would you help not just us to move to different parts of the country and the world so that we can be with our own group of people, but would you help us to be with those who are different than us, to bring heaven to earth? Because you came from heaven to earth, and you are very different from us, and yet you came here to be with us. God, we ask for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.